Is your loved one suffering from drug addiction or alcoholism? Hope is Alive is an organization with a proven track record of helping addicted men and women radically change their lives. With 20 plus homes across the U.S., Hope is Alive Sober Mentoring Program provides safe, structured, and faith-based environments where men and women can truly change. In fact, over 80% of the residents who complete the 18-month program celebrate a fully recovered life. If you or someone you love is ready to make a change, Hope is Alive is your next step. For more information, visit hopeisalive.net. I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. When I was like, you know, 17, 18 is when I first started drinking. I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help. And I actually mean it this time. That's for those of you listening, whether you're a resident in the program, whether you're a family member, a current or a future supporter. But life today is good. When I was seeing it work in other people as well as myself, something just changed. I've got a little over five years of sobriety. This is the Hope Dealers podcast so amanda how are you i'm good yeah so glad you're here today thank you so much for having me yeah we've been trying to get amanda on here for a while but uh it's finally happened today is the day yeah and we had your husband on last week yes ari the uh the newlyweds of the office (laughs) (laughs) and how does it feel to be married it's so cool. Yeah. It's very good. Get it was it. a long time coming and here we are. And yeah, there's days when we feel like we've been married forever. And <laughs> there's days when we feel very much newlyweds. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, w- I would think it, you would want to stay in that newlywed uh, area for as long as possible. Yes. Just because, uh, you know, just to keep those sparks flying. Yeah. It but, still feels new and fresh and fun right now. Yeah. And you've, but you've been living in that house of yours by yourself for a while now. Yes, coming up on four years. Yeah, and then and now you have a, a permanent roommate. <laughs> now I yes yes I had to clean out the closet, clean out the drawers, make the space. Yeah, uh, but it's been all very good. We have a closet designated just to HIA t-shirts. If you can imagine, I can imagine. <laughs> I've got a side of my closet that's designated just to HIE yes. stuff. And uh, it's funny. I, I remember when I first came in the program, just like most residents, I like wanted every HIE shirt that I could get my hands on. And now I've gotten to the point where I've given shirts away to other residents you know, yes. who need them. And I still just have so many. But I, you know, the next time a new set comes in, I'll be the first one to oh, be yeah. like, I need an XL, please. Yes, <laughs> we want those shirts. They're yeah very much a part of who we are <laughs> yeah yeah I could uh I could I think I could probably wear HIA stuff for a good like month or two without having to wash anything yeah just for sure <laughs> just stick with that yes there's ones that like don't even fit anymore from when I came in because I was so small when I came in and I still just have them just just so that way I have it they're nostalgic yeah they're our favorite ones it's like but I need this large gray one because yeah. you know I got to have pajamas, right? Or something. Yeah. We feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been working for Hope is Alive? I am going on a little more than five years on staff. Five years on staff. But you, when did you enter the program as a resident? Because I know you're a graduate now, obviously. I came in in 2016. Okay. You came in in 2016. Graduated the program in 2018. Okay. 
That sounds about right. Yes. From And not that I was around yet, but just from the conversations we've had. Yes. I don't know. We might have to pull up the tracker here in a minute to see. <laughs> Double check to the To see dates. what's what. You know, as time goes on, um, the most recent things and and certain parts of my story start to stand out more. Yeah. And become those um, the things that I share more often. And some of the other things from more of the distant past start to kind of fade away. Right. And that kind of happens uh, as we get further along in our recovery, right? Like when you first come in, the biggest part of your story tends to be like exactly what got you in the door maybe. Yes. I know when I came in, I couldn't stop talking about the fact that I was I'd just been in the ICU for a week. Yes. Because that's what, you know, ultimately landed me in my rock bottom. Yeah. Um, while today, not to say that I won't ever talk about that anymore, but while today it's, I, the biggest part of my story is more the loneliness. Exactly. That was all over the entire time. You realize more as time goes by. Yeah. Well, your brain heals. Yes. Memory gets better. Yeah. Put the pieces together and really get the story straight. Yeah. And they say it takes like 18 months for the brain to really heal. I believe it. Yeah. That's been definitely my story. And, you know, I tend to tell people that I was a slow recoverer. Yeah. And so it took me probably a little bit longer than the average person mm -hmm. to really latch on to recovery and yeah. and sequentially take the steps needed to really change my life. Yeah. But today you're hanging strong with six years clean, right? Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Six years clean and sober, five years on staff. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that's that's quite a mile that's a couple milestones right there. Yes. Um and so your job is the, you're the regional program director over the women's program. Yes, particularly my region is all of the women's okay. homes. Gotcha. So there's you and Grant Green. We've had Grant on here before. So Grant oversees all of our men's homes. You're the counterpart. You oversee all the women's homes. Yes. That's a, wow. That's a lot of stuff to oversee. It's a lot of ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and is that, you know, is this a job, something that you felt called to do from the beginning or did you just kind of find your way into it? A little bit of both, actually. Um, you know, when I, when I look back again, this isn't looking back, um, but I always had, um, a heart for people, kind of a knack for talking with people, understanding uh, things in different ways, and very much a God-given gift of teaching Yeah, that my parents and my family identified when I was a very little girl. Uh, there's stories about me um, taking my little sister, who was three years younger than me. I would have, um, we would bring all of our school books home in elementary school, and I would teach her what I was learning in school. Oh, wow. Um, long, I think we, we laugh and say she learned long division when she was three years old. Because um, <laughs> you were getting her ahead. I was getting her ahead in our playhouse in the backyard. Yeah. And so I always kind of um, had this innate ability to teach and impart to others yeah. knowledge. Um, and so that was there from very early on. Of course, in my addiction years, all of that was lost. Sure, falls by the wayside. Yeah, felt useless. Um, and so, but I think those gifts and talents were there inside of me. Um, now, when I got clean and sober, I said to God, to myself, and to anyone around me, I don't want to be around any other alcoholics or addicts ever again. Okay. I walked out of treatment saying that. 
And why do you think that was? What I felt was they're too much like me. Ah, so it's like a reminder. (laughs) Yes. And I was chaotic. I was sad um, and and lost. Mm. And so I didn't want anything to do with that. Right. And so I think when I came to Hope is Alive, God restored that in me. You know, this is not a chaotic life. You are not hopeless. You're not sad. And so as things turned and, you know, what we do at Hope is Alive using the HIA recovery model is restore people back to their true selves. Yeah. But not going backwards. We're going forward. Right. What are you going to do with your life now? And so as I was understanding that at the same time, an opportunity prevented itself presented itself for leadership. Yeah. And, you know, I truly felt in that moment, like me, (laughs) you know, I'm a, I'm a drug addict just hanging on by a thread. You Mm -hmm. want me to step into a leadership role? Um, But I knew enough to just say yes. Sure. I was interested. And so I gave it a try and it was just step after step after that. So I've had several roles at Hope is Alive yeah, I mean, you didn't come in the door and they were like, all right, you're going to oversee every single woman in the program. No, <laughs> no, it started very small and has grown. Yeah. Um, but I think a big part of me having that God instilled gift of being a teacher has given me enough ability to watch what's going on around me and really learn um, everything that's going on. Plus, my heart for women who are just like me, um, I, I wanted you know, to help somebody else yeah. in the same way that I was helped because I felt like there was no hope for me. Right. Like this was never going to work. And to have that feeling and then to see your life changing is wow. Yeah. And so I thought if I could, do, you know, help somebody else do that, I'm in. Absolutely. And I think that's where the God's call was on my life. Uh, Cause that didn't come from me. Obviously you know, I walked out of treatment saying, see you guys. Right. Um, and so I think that's where I really feel like it was a calling from the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I like what you said about how it wasn't you because when you walked out of treatment, you know, you were like, I'm so done with this. I don't want to be around this anymore. I think a lot of us, when we finally surrender um, and, and let God work in our life, a lot of stuff like that can happen. Um, I've talked about it a few times when I was laid up and I was really sick there at the end and I prayed to God. I, I, for once, I didn't make that false promise prayer. It wasn't like all the nights when I was laying in jail and I said, you know, if you get me out of this, I'll never, but, but, but I finally just said I was done. I just, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know what that looks like. And so when I heard about sober living, hope is alive. I just said, yes. And it, it was so weird I remember my mom and my brother during my intervention, they had apparently prepared for like a really big fight when they brought it up and they had, uh, you know, they had all these things in their back pockets ready to throw at me. And as soon as I said, yeah, I'll go. They were like, Oh, really? Really? (laughs) Okay. We didn't, we didn't see that one coming. Yes. So, um, I connect with that so much because when we're working to get women in the program or to stay or take the next step, um, a lot of times we see that. I mean, you can see it. You can just experience it off of another addict in recovery when they've really come to that place of surrender. Absolutely. Um, and when they're not, um, my heart just is like, okay, what can we do to get someone there? Right, because, you know, and we talked about this 
we talk about this really every week on here. Like all none, nothing really matters if they don't want it. If they don't, if they, if they're not ready to take that step, then everything else, it just kind of doesn't matter. Even if it's the courts or a loved one or a spouse or whoever that's pushing them to make that jump, if they don't want to, it'll only last so long. Yes. Except there are things I've seen be done to, to push someone to get ready. Okay. And so, yeah, to some degree, um, but I would pose back to you that no one is ever ready. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't ready. Right. Not really all the way. I think it was Ari, your husband, who said this, not on the show, but just in private when him and I were talking once. I think he said, uh, sometimes you see guys come in and like they're just willing enough to not be homeless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, really just residents in general, not just the guys. But yeah, like they're, they're, they're willing to not be homeless. Yes. You know. And that's enough. And that's enough. To get them in the door. Exactly. It's good. If you can accept that you really have nowhere else to go and uh, really have nothing else to lose, then sometimes that is enough just to yeah. get the whole process jump started. Yes. So um, when I teach or talk about willingness in the confines of AA mm-hmm. with women, um, I talk about how do you know you're really ready? How do you know? Because it, uh, one of the steps says, became willing and ready. Became right. ready, like it's a process. So how do you get ready? Yeah. And we talk about um, jumping off a cliff. So if you're going to get ready to jump off a really tall cliff, how how do you know when you're ready? Yeah. You're right there on the edge. You're getting ready to jump off. How do you know? What do you do? Do you do three, two, one, go? Do you watch, watch somebody else jump first? What's your style? Do you run and go, go for it? What does that look like? Yeah. And we talk through that. But at some point, you just have to jump. Mm-hmm. You just have to jump. And so we talk about that analogy and thinking through that. And where am I at? I say I'm ready. Right. I'm ready. I'm sick of this life. I want this other life. But what steps are you taking? Right. Are you one step away from the edge? Are you right there on the edge? Mm-hmm. Is it time to just jump? Let's just, let's jump. Yeah. You know, and I'll sit here with you and hold your hand, but let's jump. Yeah. We got to do this. And so that's kind of a helpful way you know, to look at it. Even I like that. Even, you know, years down the line in sobriety for me, you yeah. know, there's things that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite ready. Right. Are you ever going to be ready? Probably not. Let's take a step, Amanda. Yeah. And with a lot of stuff, you know, we're talking about getting sober, but like you said, you, you know, down the line, it, it kind of goes back to, there's never a good time, right. To do all this stuff, whether it's quitting nicotine or, you know, getting on a consistent schedule, going to your AA meetings, um, wh- whatever it may be, Yes. you know, it's like, okay, well I could quit nicotine right now, but Christmas is around the corner or my birthday is around the corner or whatever it is. It's like, all right, well, there's never going to be a good time then because that stuff happens annually. Yes. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, Lance talked about this earlier today in, in our meeting, you know, like make sure we're hitting our meetings, you know, to be healthy, spiritually, mentally, yes. all that. It's like, you know, oh, well, I, I can't start. I'm, I'm going to get a home group, but I, I can't start this week, though, because yeah. I, because this is so busy. Yeah. It's like, but but we're always going to be busy, right. especially working here. You know, that's not going away. Right. Um, some of us are newly married. You know, that adds on a whole nother layer. But 
we get all this stuff. We know we have the, you know, the fortune of being married, being busy with a job. We do all that because we stay healthy. And sometimes that means, yeah, sacrificing an hour once a week to go to a meeting. Right. And if that goes out the window, our recovery, we don't have right the amazing job. We don't have the marriage. We don't have the children or all these things that are making our life so complete. Absolutely. And it, you know, there's no finish line to this thing. You know, I know you and I both have graduated the program. So we finished the program, this particular program. Um, but I remember a couple of years ago when I was wanting to graduate early and our wonderful COO, Allison told me to just hang tight for a little bit. You know, you're not going anywhere. Just relax. And I went and I spoke to a mentor of mine about it. And he said, uh, this was a guy who has 20 plus years in recovery. And he said, well, I'll just go ahead and spoil the surprise for you now, man. That's a graduation from hope is alive. This, there is no finish line to this thing though. This goes on forever. Yes. There's never a day that you can wake up and you're like, "Ah, I did it. You know, we hit certain milestones. We get a year two years, whatever. Um, But all that's just little accomplishments along the way, right? Yes. I think I needed that. Um, I really needed that the first year, maybe two and a half for me, because two and a half was a big deal because I had had previous sobriety up to two and a half years. And so I needed that big push and to talk about how big of a deal one year was. Right. And then two and a half. Um, but then, you know, for me, like you're saying, there comes a settling, a time of settling. Yeah of saying, you know, my life is going to be as good as I make it. Yes. Every year. Right. Every time, all the time. Yeah. And so um, there's nothing to chase anymore, which I think is, um, as an addict, a little bit devastating, you know, because I liked the chase. That rush. Uh Uh-huh. But then also at the same time, as time goes on, it's, it's very calming because we begin to crave stability. Yeah and consistency and regularity in our lives. Absolutely. And so there's there's also a sense of calm to that, knowing that, you know, this is how life is and it's in my hands. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've talked to guys before that are within the first six months to a year of it and there is that question that they might have that's, is this it? Like, is this what I'm fighting for? Is to be able to watch TV and go to the mall every other week and maybe I can get a girlfriend down the line or whatever it may be. And, uh, I say the same thing. What's up to you? Your life is what you was, what you make it. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. But you get to be clear headed while you're doing it. Yeah. And you can do anything, anything. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago, I'd say about two years ago, I had resigned to think, um, my life is amazing. I don't need anything else. I'm not interested in a partner. Mm-hmm. I don't think I will get married. And that was perfectly okay right. for me. I was in a peaceful place. Yeah. Like my life was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then God began to work on my heart. And I realized I did not want to be alone. Um, and my heart was softened and along came Ari. I mean, it just kind of happened like that. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah. Um, and so that was beyond my wildest dreams. Because yeah. I'm telling you, two years ago, I... I was thought my life was the best it could ever be. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say it does get better. Yeah. It's better and better and better. Well, there's different, you know, 
there's different seasons in life and in our recovery. I think, you know, for me up to the point when I got one year was great. I had, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was a fun first year. I, I, I worked really hard, but I was also just really happy and having fun in this new life. Year one to two was brutal. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I've said that many times around a lot of y'all up here, you know, years one to two, I was like, this is hard and I'm not gonna have a great day every day. I had heard a lot early on that uh, the bad days still come and I thought I knew what that yeah. meant, but no, like the bad days really come mm. and we're tested. Mm. <laughs> um, but then, you know, year two to three was pretty awesome. And three going into four now has been even better. Yeah. You know, and, but those bad days are still there. Like we said, you know, we're, we're just always going through different seasons. Yes. And it's how we, it's not so much about letting it get us down. It's how we manage those seasons. Yes. And I would say the bad days look and feel way different than bad days in addiction. Oh yeah. And so they, when they come, I think for addicts and alcoholics, for me, um, initially it always feels like alarming. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't feel right. There's things going on. I, it's almost like a exaggerated feeling like I might lose everything. Right. And I have to really work on reminding myself it is normal to have a bad day, a bad week to go through emotions. Um, yeah. And again, I'm exaggerating that, but that's kind of how it feels. Um, particularly when I'm doing really well, steady and having good day after good day after good day. And then one comes, it feels like, Oh no, everything's at risk now. Yeah. Um, whereas that's maybe not really the truth, but a bad day or bad days in addiction were horrifying. Right. You know, well, yeah, I mean, a bad day in addiction can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Um, and I think you're right, though. I mean, one an exercise I've tried to teach myself is, uh, and, you know, I've got to be careful how I word this so I don't sound like a total downer, but there will be times I'll have like, you know, seven, eight, seven, eight days straight where it's like things are just going my way. Everything, you know, work, personal, family, I mean, everything. And some t somewhere in the middle there, like I'll get home and everything's just going so good. I will remind myself, I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's a good chance that maybe not necessarily a bad day, but a day that's not gonna quite go my way could definitely be on the horizon. Sure. And when it happens, you know, when I mentally prepare myself like that, when it happens, I, I can usually just kind of shake it off or sometimes even laugh it off, especially if, because a lot of the times it's the very next day, I, you know, I get up and something happens and I'm like, okay, yeah, see, we were ready for this, God. We, we knew this one was coming <laughs> Yeah, and it's okay. Let's just roll with it. Yeah. Humor is such a great tool. Yes. Such a great tool. Um, I've learned to laugh at myself more the past couple of years than I ever have. Cause I'm not, I'm not a funny person. <laughs> I'm not like very low key sense of humor. But when I You've got a wonderful laugh, though. <laughs> I, I, I've told people that for years. Amanda White, or Amanda Patchen, excuse me, has one of my favorite laughs around. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, if I can laugh at myself, yeah. that helps a lot. And one of the things Allie always talks to us about, especially those of us who, you know, when you first start working for Allie directly, um, what she told me a couple of years ago was, like, stop taking yourself so seriously. Yeah. And when you first hear that, you're like, what does that mean? and then you realize that you're doing it. 
Yes. You know, right away. Yes. <laughs> and so for those out there listening or viewing, you know, who might be new to this whole thing, you know, for you, Amanda, what does it mean to not take yourself so seriously? Um, I would say not hold myself to such a high standard. You know, sometimes uh, I feel like I've got to do everything to the T, yeah. whether that's, you know, personal life at work, with family, with friends. Um, and I've learned if I can just ease up a little bit, yeah, it's okay. Right. It is okay. Um, you don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to perform perfectly. Uh, things will be okay. Right. I like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think a big part of it would come down to remembering where I was before all of this. Um, you know, I think it was a couple of all staff retreats ago. We talked about it and I was like, I had this realization that, you know, there was a lot of people around me that just, it seemed like they were just progressing so much faster than me. And that was just me really being in my head. Um, but I had to sit there and be like, you know, there was a point in time when all I wanted was to get a bed at Hope Was Alive. At no point when I was filling out my application to come to Hope Was Alive was I thinking like, oh my gosh, I hope I get house manager out of this. Right. Or I hope I get to go be on staff. Now those blessings did come true and, you know, God be the glory. But no, we were coming here just to maybe give life a shot. Yes. <laughs> that was the goal. I hear a lot of gratitude in that. Absolutely. And that helps me a lot too is just looking around saying, this I'm so grateful for, this person I'm so grateful for, this is where I am, this is the truth of what's going on, yeah. rather than getting outside of myself and really far ahead or something, right. letting my fear run away with myself, just going back to, hey, everything is great. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's working out, it's going to work out. Absolutely, and you know, for our residents who might be watching this or listening, um, the same can be said for a lot of folks who in the program who are trying to graduate so quickly and they don't even know why, you know, you just kind of get to this point where you're like, well, I guess it's time to graduate this thing. And, you know, I, I've said this a bunch, you know, I understand sometimes, you know, we've got a family w waiting for you at home. I, I totally understand that. Sometimes, you know, we, you moved here from across the country. It's t it's time to get home. Um, and if you've completed the program and done everything you're supposed to do, then absolutely bon voyage. But for a lot of us, um, you know, I was reminded, I think it was the year and a half point I tried to graduate. And I remember someone asking me, they're like, well, where are you running off to? You know, where, where, where do you got to go? And this thing is, you know, like we said, you might graduate the program, but the whole journey of recovery is going to go on forever. So once you leave the house and this was, you know, I stayed in the homes for three years, proud to say it. And, uh, one of the things I learned really early on, even though I was totally like mentally preparing for it is, I mean, like, you know, it's very different being back out there, you know, on your own, whether you have, or even if you have a couple of roommates or one, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I talked to Lauren about this. It's weird having to make plans again. You don't just get to come home and have 10 people right there. <laughs> right there. Yes. Um, and you're responsible for a lot more again. Yes. You know. I remember um, when I was getting ready to graduate. Uh, so back then there wasn't a, a marker like you graduate at one year or 18 months or two years. 
it was it worked slightly differently. Yeah. And so when I was coming up my time, the really the only big reason I wanted out to to move out was irritation. Mm. Okay, so minor irritations in the home, which everybody experiences. Yeah. Roommate issues, I would say. Um, and then I missed my dogs. I had been away. Yeah. You know, from them for I think 16 or 19 months. 19 months is how long I stayed. And so I would just chalk all that up to minor irritations. Yeah. And did I have the ability to tolerate that? Could I tolerate frustration and irritation uh, for another month? Or was I gonna let that be something that would make me throw my hands up and just move out? Well, if that was gonna make me throw my hands up and move out, or press it, that's an indication of what I'm going to do the following month, the following month, the following mm-hmm. month. And that was really scary to me because the kind of addict I was um, at the end, the last few years on heroin, not able to stop even in and out of treatment centers, using in treatment centers. I needed to be really sure before I left Hope is Alive, yeah. the homes, that I wasn't going to fall back into the same or similar trap. Absolutely. And so I was scared. Um, and so I set up a ton of protection mechanisms uh, before I moved out. But I understand that feeling. It's time. I've done it all. I yeah. gotta go. But I would um, really caution people to look at their ability to tolerate frustration. Yeah. Get that down. Yeah. Because when you move out, like you're saying, it's a different deal. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to come at you, can you handle it? Right. That's all that really matters once you move out. Yeah. Can you stay sober? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as we kind of come close to wrapping up today, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, What would you say to the person that could, you know, still be out there struggling or perhaps to to their parents or loved one who are listening today? Find someone to talk to that you can share with really, really openly. Yeah. I didn't think that was my parents, but it was. Yeah. Um, I was afraid of their response for so, so long. Um, but ultimately and finally it was my mom and dad who were the most listening, the most open and the most willing to get me help. I just had to say it. Yeah. Really all I had to say was I need help. They knew, um, but if it's if it's not a close family member, just find someone. There are people all over the place that would love to talk to you. You can call Hope is Alive. You can walk into any AA, NA meeting. You can walk into any church and ask anybody. And all you have to say is, I need help. They will take the conversation from there, I promise you. Yeah. And so don't wait. Like we were saying earlier, there's never a good time. Never going to be a good time. The time is now. Yeah, and if you're the loved one of somebody who's out there struggling, uh, as always, remind you guys that uh, you know, Finding Hope has over 40 meetings across the country, um, and that's that's a meeting for you right now. Even if your loved one isn't ready to get you know uh, things turned around right now, there's a meeting for you that's available right now. But Amanda, I'm so glad that we got to sit and chat today. Um, you've been one of my best friends for the last we said beforehand almost four years now. Yes. Um, you've known me since I was a pup. Um, in comparison to you, I still am a pup, but yes, you're like a younger brother. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me today. And, um, 
my whole family just adores you and has seen you change over time and you're just killing it at your job and I appreciate you and love you so much. Well, I love you too, Amanda. Thank you so much for those kind words. If this is your first time listening to the Hope Dealers podcast, please, please, please hit that subscribe button. We'll throw it below and be sure to uh, share this with anybody who needs to hear it. And we'll see you again next time. This is the Hope Dealers podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back. Take my time, just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.